Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Greetings, cartoon connoisseurs, and welcome to the Animation Conversation, where we explore the art form from pencils to pixels. And now, here are your hosts, Rusty Shackleford and F. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Animation Conversation. I'm Rusty here with F, and uh, today uh, we've got an episode that's going to be writer-centric today. So we're going to discuss some of uh, some of the woes of being a writer in the animation world and uh, kind of what an an- uh, a, a writer's place is uh, in animation because I think they're, they're kind of underrated in, in the animation world. Uh, I feel like a lot of people don't understand that uh, a writer is, is half of the story with, you know, the, the animator does one half of the story and the other half of the story is the, the people writing the story, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's kind of this, <clears throat> it's kind of this whole, um, it's, it's this whole weird thing. Like there, there, especially with the emergence and with the popularity of, um, you know, primetime style, King of the Hill, Family Guy, uh, Simpsons animation, you know those those types of shows, your grown-up shows, um, are very very writer-centric. Like they just they couldn't exist without essentially sitcom writers. Oh, absolutely. Uh, one of uh, my actual favorite writers uh, comes from The Simpsons. Actually, uh, comes from a dorm room uh, with one of the uh, one of the you know funniest late night guys, Conan. So Greg Daniels. Yeah. Uh, he's one of my favorite writers due to the fact of uh, his major influence on, of course, my other podcast, King of the Hill. He had a really big influence on the the, the creation of that right. TV show. So, so yeah, those those adult <clears throat> ones, they're definitely super heavy on writing. Well, and that's the thing. If you go back, back to when The Simpsons, like when every episode was just a home run, uh, it's noticeable. And you see the name Conan O'Brien appear a lot on those episodes. Oh, absolutely. And but now the flip side of that is um, when it comes to more cartoony cartoons, uh, you know, your your Nickelodeon style, your Cartoon Network style, your Looney Tunes style, um, you know, writing for cartoons like those is not quite so um, it's a whole different animal. And a lot of the among animators and and among people in the animation industry there's this i and i don't know if other people are even aware of this and that's why i'm kind of i'm kind of interested to talk about it with you like within the animation industry there's a very very polarized um uh group of people there are people who believe that cartoons should only be made by cartoonists that writers have absolutely no business in it um and and you know they they just they shouldn't be there at all they're they're meddling where they don't belong and then there are others who believe that um no it's it's the opposite you know without writers there are no cartoons and the entire industry would collapse in on itself and etc 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 and you know um uh, well, I'll talk about my own feelings eventually, but were you aware of this? Like, as as someone who's not in the industry, did you know that there's there's this clash that is occurring and that has been occurring for decades now? I was kind of aware of a clash between maybe not necessarily just in the animation industry, but the industry as a whole. I think uh, sometimes in, in life we're made aware of it due to the writer strikes and things like that with the writers' guilds. Uh, we're made aware of the 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 industry sentiment, you know, uh, about writers. How uh, now they're even threatening writers with AI, you know. So it's yeah. 
So it's it's kind of uh, it's kind of been evident to me in that way through the media and stuff like that. So I imagine that uh, you know it was it was evident in the in 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 the world of animation as well. You know, if it's evident in the entire industry as a whole, it's all the same beast at the end of the day. It all you know it all boils down to the same. Uh, you know, types of executives that that had the same type of mentality about about money over creativity and things like that. Uh, so so for me, uh, I, I personally, I think that depending on what you're watching, the the script is you know the script, the story, the, the how it's written does matter a great deal to to the the success of the show. You you do have the shows like. Uh, like they used to make, like the Looney Tunes and the the Tom and Jerry's and stuff, where it was just literally an orchestra making all the sounds, and then you had your mm-hmm. Foley artists making the noise, the all the other noises and stuff. But you you get these shows nowadays. Uh, one I just recently watched that's an adult animation one that's really new was called Fired on Mars, and mm-hmm. I don't know who mm-hmm. any of the writers are on the show, but it is phenomenally written. Mm-hmm. For and but you could tell that it, it's adult centric in the way that sure. it's written. You know, you could tell that a lot of the really wordy scripts and the, a lot of the uh, really fleshed out storylines and things like that. You could, yeah, you could, you could definitely tell that a lot of that is more geared towards yeah. adults, whereas kids' animation. Uh, and if you go even younger kids like Dora the Explorer, they have a lot of callbacks where the mm-hmm. kids respond to the to Dora and stuff like that. And, and then then you have the little older kids where you're getting into like the the Dragon Ball Zs and stuff like that, where right. the story again becomes really important. Uh, I don't think right. the stories is as important in the Dora Explorer world and stuff like that. Maybe you know you could go from episode to episode and just do kind of whatever. But when you get into uh, teenage kids watching anime or even stuff like the gargoyles and stuff like when I was a kid, that was a very, mm-hmm. a very script, a very, you know, story centric show. Yeah. Well, and that, that to me, see, that's where, this is where I fall in the whole, in the whole thing, because uh, again, I, I have as many qualifications as a writer, as I do an artist. Um, now I, I made my career in animation as a, as a storyboard artist and a, and a director, but I've written my fair share of scripts. I've, I've sold shows where I've written the entire Bibles and, and prior to working in animation, I was doing comic strips and comic books. So, you know, for, for the better part of a half a decade, I wrote a daily comic strip. So to me, that was right. And it was a continuous story. So I consider, I consider myself at least as much a writer as I do an artist. And in fact, if you were to push me up against a wall, I would say I'm a much better writer than I am an artist. Now, that being said, um, again, when I when I came into the animation industry, I was completely unaware that there was this, you know, uh, sort of, um, in my opinion, contrived um, uh, war going on between artists and writers, artists and writers, artists and writers. And, and in the 25 years that I spent in LA, I, I'd worked on every kind of show, one that was completely uh, writerless, one that had a single writer who would write outlines, and then ones that were completely and utterly script-driven. And, and I liked working on all three kinds. Um, I, the, I think the it falls back on the argument that you need the right tool for the right job. You mentioned Dora the Explorer. Dora the Explorer is ostensibly an educational preschooler program. Therefore, it needs to be written because the lessons need to be coherent and cohesive and they need to be appropriate for the age. You know, Dora the Explorer is not about dropping anvils on people. No, not at all. Definitely not. you're, You're there specifically to learn something. So you absolutely need writers for that. Then you've got things like Simpsons and King of the Hill, that are 100%, you know, geared for an adult audience and adults having more of a, you know, sophisticated and more sort of dialogue driven and situation driven mentality. Of course, you're going to need writers for that. But when you've when you've got your gag driven shows like Ren and Stimpy was entirely a gag driven show. Yeah, yeah. You can't sure. really write shows like that because 
it's just one gag after another. And it's you visual. can sit down it goes, with, it, it's visual. It's vaudevillian. You know what I mean? It, it yeah, goes back to the, the exactly stick, Buster Keaton. It goes back to all that kind of stuff. Right. And, and even in those cases on the occasions where I've um, worked with people on shows, like I've worked with storyboard artists on shows who are terrified if they don't at least have an outline to follow. Now, I again, because I have experience writing, I never have any, you know, short of, a, of ideas, but there, there are plenty of people in the industry who need something at least as a starting off point. And so if you don't have the idea yourself, you at least need an outline to start with. And you can, you know, you can veer off it as much as you want, but that's exactly it. If you're if you're dealing with a show that's entirely gag driven, you can't write that like a writer, you know, can't really sit and go and then the anvil falls on his head yeah you can't pass that it. along to an executive yeah. and have the executive think it's funny you can't read gags on a script no and be sold the joke they're only sold if they're visual so and let I think me ask you this then so so when you're selling a joke to an executive as somebody who's probably had to do that before uh when you're selling that joke so you can't write a gag so you have to pre-draw that right you have mm -hmm. to pre-draw it pre-animate even though it might not get lit up for the show they might not okay it mm -hmm. you still have to go that route to like show that right okay. well that's and and therein lies the problem is um the 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 real problem is you've got a director board artists and writers all trying to sell stuff to an executive and get their stamp of approval on it and saying you know yes i approve of this and the thing is 99% of animation executives don't know how to read storyboards. And a lot of them don't even really know how to read scripts because being someone who can read a script and read the, the visual description of it and then picture that in their mind, that's, that's a, you know, by the way, I don't blame them for not being able to do that. That's a very like specific group of skills to read a script and be able to visualize it in your, in your head. Oh, so what winds yeah. up happening is, you know, a, a writer or or a board artist will will you know do a thumbnail board of a gag driven show, but because it's not moving and because the executive doesn't know how to read a storyboard and can't visualize it in their head, they look at it and go, "I don't get this. This isn't funny." Okay. Meanwhile, the board artist is sitting there going, "No, trust me. When it's animated, it'll be funny." But that's the trouble: is executives don't trust artists. But the thing is, most most non-artists are so sort of blown away by the whole, you know, drawing aspect of it. And they think to themselves, oh, that's something I could never do. You know, therefore, it's alien to me. Whereas writers, you know, everyone knows how to read. So everyone mostly, believes that they can mostly. look at a script and go, oh, OK, I get this. And what winds up happening is a lot of scripts are either incredibly dialogue heavy where it's really just talking heads those are the ones that a lot of executives like because they get it they don't have to visualize anything they just have to hear the jokes but then you've got other ones where then you've got writers who um have such carte blanche because again all, all the power is given entirely to the writers because that's what the executives understand so then you'll have a writer write a script that says uh and then a riot breaks out in the middle of town and every uh character on the show comes running out and it's like then the board artist is stuck having the storyboard 800 characters and that's i think where the sort of hostility comes between writers and artists it's like the writer is there to fulfill a mandate to please the executive and the executive just understands sort of the broad strokes of these things. And therefore, you know, you've you've got these these two sides of the equation trying desperately to make someone who doesn't really understand filmmaking understand that what they're going to see is going to be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's uh, that's definitely that's definitely uh interesting to hear yeah that's a, that's a dynamic that i guess a lot of people don't really get to to hear about is how how writers and their role in animation i, I imagine like i said i imagine it's you know it's equally important if, if not just as important as a uh an animator you know in in that in that job well again it goes back to 
the right tool for the right job. You know, if you, if you've got a show that is intended to be um, entirely gag driven, then no writers are not as important, but that said, you need, you need storyboard artists who are good at telling stories. And there's a difference between someone who's, uh, you know, good at cartooning versus someone who's good at cartooning and good at telling a story. So, um, now, a perfect example of something that, in my opinion, falls somewhere in between that is Rick and Morty. Because when I when I got hired okay. to do my half of the pilot of Rick and Morty, the executives on that show weren't getting it. Even though it was, you know, the parts that I were doing were very dialogue-driven and and very, you know, sort of sitcom-y, they weren't getting the humor. And the reason they weren't getting the humor was because they weren't seeing the facial expressions, they weren't seeing the pantomime, uh, the, the body motions and that sort of thing. So... Um, you know, that's one of the things I've always felt was kind of foolish about this, about this rivalry between artists and writers is that, you know, they need each other and animation, animation is at its DNA. It's a, it's a collaborative effort. Yeah. That's what I was going to be a question that I actually had for you was, uh, how does, uh, an animation writer collaborate with animators and other visual artists to bring the story to life? Like, how do you directly collaborate? So do you guys, uh, as the, as the writers writing and you guys are animating, do you guys kind of like, Hey, uh, how are you going to write this? Like what kind of nuances do I need to put in this character's face or in their expressions and their, how they move or things like that? See, and, and therein, therein lies the problem is in most of the productions that I've worked on that were, you know, written by writers, um, there was almost no interaction between the writers and the artists, specifically the writers and the storyboard artists okay. who, you know, the storyboard artists are to the visuals of the show, what the writers are to the plot and the dialogue, you know, Absolutely. so the two are, are really pretty equal in that respect. Um and so on a show where you need both things to be compatible, it's important that you have both sides, you know, collaborating with one another. Now, on a handful of the shows I've worked on uh, when I was a supervising director, we made an effort to, you know, make sure that both of those sides were always communicating and always collaborating. And I think I think one of the reasons that there's that um, this problem occurs is because because the the writers are just told just write something good write you know make this great absolutely so yeah, yeah. they'll they'll put down on paper you know and then all hell breaks loose and war breaks out and there's a riot in the middle of town because it's big and because it's going to sell and because it's it sounds exciting but the thing is it takes 2 seconds to write a riot breaks out in the center of town and it takes 3 months to storyboard you know even part of that so But again, every episode of every show, you get the same amount of time, no matter how complicated the script is. So you've got writers who aren't communicating with the board artists. And then in the middle of it all should be the director. The director, to me, the big thing that would fix a lot of these problems is if uh, the director had sort of script approval. Because the director, the series director, should have an overall view of the entire series run. And they should be able to look at a script and go, we can't have a riot in the center of town on this episode because we just got done with a riot in the center of town on the episode prior to that. You yeah, know, yeah. it's going to it's gonna run everybody ragged. We can't do it. Come up with something else. Um, but right now, that kind of collaboration doesn't occur, it, mm-hmm. as far as I can see. It's become disconnected or whatever you're in, yeah. in that way. Yeah, okay. So Writers uh... hang out with the writers. Artists hang out with artists. The two don't talk enough. And, and again, a, the director should be the one sort of interpreting for both, but I feel as though that doesn't, that doesn't happen nearly enough in the industry. Yeah. Well, well, for you, for someone who's been in the industry as, uh, as long as you have, uh, what are some of the, what are some of your favorite writers in the animation world, uh, specifically animation world? Cause I, I could say writer in a, in a grand scheme of, uh, media, you know, whether it be TVs, movie, whatever, mm. but just specifically in animation and it could be film as well, animated film. But, uh, yeah. who is, uh, who are some of your favorite writers and so who, who are some specifically that might've influenced you? In, Cause you are also a writer too. So are there sure. like who might've influenced you in some of your, your writing in, in the animation world specifically? Well, see, and that's that's another thing that that sort of, and I'll answer your question, but um, 
there there aren't one of the other problems in my opinion and and i do believe that this is finally rectifying itself when i got into the industry there weren't that many cartoon writers you know there there are very few people who um are inspired by by cartoons and go i'm going to be a cartoon writer and then they study every aspect of animation with the intention of becoming a writer most people who study every aspect of animation become animators or they become directors or board artists they don't become writers and that's the problem is i do believe we need more people who are like i want to be a cartoon writer and then they not only have to learn all of the disciplines involved in becoming a great writer but they also have to learn about the process of animation and and like i said there's just there's not that many people who sort of set out to be cartoon writers okay so now to answer your question and this is going to be incredibly biased so i'm just going to no, start that's okay. naming no we won't yeah we won't bias that's what that's what this question's for is bias for sure people, i want to know who you like yeah, people that I've people that I've worked with. I mean, the the first person that always comes to mind is Eric Trueheart, who was okay. uh, one of the head writers on Invader Zim, and he he and I wound up creating shows together. Like, if if I've ever had anything close to a writing partner, it was Eric Trueheart. We created a few shows together. We pitched them. We got them, you know, in development at various stages. None of them ever got picked up for a series. But he's someone I really like to work with, and he's. I I actually met him. He was a um uh he he was either like a secretary or or a production assistant or something at Klasky Chupo back when I started on Wild Thornberries and and I don't want to misquote him but I believe you know he aspired to be a cartoon writer like that's what he was setting he out to, to do. do cartoon writing yeah only that yeah and then meanwhile he's but but like every animator should be he's a classically trained writer like he's a harvard educated classically trained writer who just so happens to want to write for cartoons and consequently he's really good at it also really good at it i gotta say uh, a really terrific cartoon writer is steve marmel who was the head writer on uh the fairly odd parents and he was the co-producer and head writer when i was the supervising director on yin yang yo at disney and what was what was great about that is he was one of the few writers who saw me as another writer. You know, that yeah, that's yeah, yeah. the other problem is a lot of writers become producers and then they will, you know, they'll only hire or they'll, they'll only consult with other people that they know as writers. And, you know, once you've got the stink of storyboards on you, you can't get it off. So yeah. Steve Marmel would always, would always rally for me to help write stuff. And he was, the first person in the industry on Yin Yang Yo who said, "Hey, John, write us a couple of scripts," and so that those were some of my very first actual script writing credits. So Steve Marmel is great. Two, two of my other or, or three of my other like absolute top favorites um, are are Sid Ventress, who also worked on Yin Yang Yo, uh, um, Adria Walden, who worked on Yin Yang Yo, and has recently done a lot of stuff for like Barbie. Ada twist scientist stuff that my my daughter loves and then um another another guy that you know more than anyone i i feel like i really clicked with was uh for hero 108 for cartoon network was kent redeker who's also very well renowned in the industry and these these are all people who are great cartoon writers um, and and they've they've always stood out to me for that reason. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, none of I, I really don't have uh, any to to name for myself. I don't really know. Like you said, it's not uh, writing is something that's that, and, and I'm going to make it a point to know more uh, going forward. Being being in an animation podcast, that'll be uh, that'll be one of my my personal homework projects is learning some more, <laughs> some more writers and some. Well, some but you did already writers. mention if you go back and again if you go back and watch some of those early episodes of The Simpsons. Very often, some of the best episodes you'll see the name Conan, Conan O'Brien. O'Brien. Yeah, so the you ones that Conan O'Brien and Greg Daniels worked on were some of the best ones, and I think yeah. it was because of the writing they did together at National Lampoon because they did the Lampoon yep. or Harvard Lampoon, not yep. necessarily, but the the, the Harvard yeah. Lampoon together. And I think that's yeah. where uh, they were really able to stretch their legs. That was like their first, you know, Absolutely. foray into stretching their legs after Saturday Night Live was yeah. The Simpsons. So yeah, no, I can't. Uh, uh, 
Yeah, that that that's. I guess I can name those writers. Those are the ones I do know. Is Greg Daniels and Conan O'Brien for sure. And uh, well, one one thing I didn't know. It was actually a fact that I learned, uh, which, which has nothing to do with writing really. But I didn't know that Klasky Cupo, or Chupo, uh, the original Forty Eight Shorts on the Uma Thurman show for The Simpsons were animated by them, and I didn't know that. That was something that I oh, just yeah. recently learned. I thought that was yeah. that was awesome to know that uh, some of my favorite kids' cartoon shows also are responsible for the first uh, Forty Eight yeah. Shorts plus the, I think the first three seasons too is what they did. I think they uh, did yeah. the first three seasons. I th- I think maybe. Either the first one or two seasons. Uh, yeah, something like that. It, 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 was, it was pretty early. They did like the early one or so or how yeah. many it was. But the first 48 uh, shorts for sure. And I really yeah. like those shorts and how rough they are. Oh, those were awesome. I, uh, I go back and revisit them uh, quite often, actually. Yeah. What's funny is Klasky Chupo did the opening for The Simpsons, and they didn't change it until just a few years ago. Oh, it stayed the so same for, for a really the, long time. Yeah, yeah. For like the first 20 years, that opening was the original Klasky Chupo opening. Yeah, I think all they did whenever uh, TV went digital, I think whenever they HD'd everything up, I think that was the only time that it changed. It didn't change. It was still the same sequence, animation sequence. Right. That was the only change that it ever had up until they just recently. I haven't even seen the new one because I really, uh, I'm a purist on some of these shows, like Family Guy, I don't really watch past like season four. I really don't yeah. watch The Simpsons past probably like season six. You know, there's I'm, I'm a purist on that, but King of the Hill, I'll watch all thirteen seasons well, of. Here, here's the thing: I haven't I haven't watched The Simpsons probably since about season seven. And but here's what I will say: um, uh, somewhere around season eight, nine, or ten, the the shows got what I call really really writery that is to say i can almost hear the writer saying here's my joke here's my joke yeah, here's you my could joke feel them yeah you could feel the jokes and and additionally the simpsons started no longer acting like a typical family you know it seems like every other episode after season seven or eight you know like there, there was a there was an episode where the simpsons uh had a tennis court put in their backyard yeah, and yeah, suddenly they're all nonsensical tennis. stuff. Yeah. A nuclear family like that is not going to have a yeah. tennis court. In their well, backyard the whole point, thing, yeah. the whole point of the Simpsons was always supposed to be that they're sort of lower middle class, yeah. not even middle class. They were always kind of on the verge of financial ruin. And I always found that, you know, really, really engaging. But And, that, and that's what I really I, liked about the 48 shorts. Uh, the first 48 yeah. shorts, uh, like, you start to really not really like Homer, and he starts to look like a really bad dad in, in yeah. after a certain part in, the, were in the Simpsons. They family in crisis. But in the <laughs> first 48 uh, short, the first 48, you, you really can't not like Homer. He's yeah. really... He's really he's flawed, but he's really dad like. He's more dad like. Yeah. I feel like in those forty eight shorts than he is in in the actual show. Now I will I will also say this. After I just got done, you know, bashing on the last you know, eighteen seasons of The Simpsons, <laughs> I even I, I will I will say this. It's not my. I'm not into them. However, when I've whenever I've turned it on, uh, even though I'm like, oh wow, this is really writery. This is not my thing. I'm just not into this anymore. They're still better than a lot of other sitcoms that are on the uh, air. There, right? There's yeah, there, there's a lot worse well, things you could watch. Like I'll take twenty episodes of The Simpsons over one episode of The Big Bang Theory any day, and I know I'm going <laughs> to upset a lot of people. Lots of people love The Big Bang Theory, uh, but I can't it's it's it. it's all right. It's not. I, I mean, there's there's worse things to watch than that too. I think. But you do you know what I mean? It's like yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, no, for sure. I definitely know The what you Simpsons. Mean. The Simpsons is like pizza. Even when it's bad, it's still pretty good. Like it's still, you know, it's not offensively terrible or anything. So no, and that's uh, um, that's that's one thing too that uh, I kind of like. Another family primetime show that they're rebooting. So the original uh, long running primetime adult animated uh, comedy was uh, Flintstones. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they sold cigarettes and they sold beer. Yeah. They used yeah. all of the old beer and cigarette ads. Uh, they're rebooting it, so there's uh, they they announced that it's going to be called Bedrock, and it's going to be with Warner Brothers. But uh, uh, so, what do you think? What do you think about what do you think about that? While we're on the writing, you know, new shows discussion. I'm just, you know, what I'm just tired of uh, reboots. I got to be honest. Reboot, yeah. Now, now that being said, you know, I'm trying to get a Twitter campaign started where. We uh, were campaigning for NBC Universal to let me reboot Underdog. So, <laughs> yeah. um, by the way, uh, 
hashtag let John Fountain reboot underdog on Twitter. Yeah, there you go. Um, Get it trending. Um, but you know, I mean, I'm sure it's going to be great. I'm sure it's, it's going to look great. I'm sure it's going to be funny because they're, they're undoubtedly going to get top notch talent to work on it. Elizabeth so, Banks. I'm going to try and, I'm going to try and judge it on its own merits. But you know, you know what? Here's a couple shows that I think got zero recognition uh, as adult animated writer driven shows mm-hmm. uh, were uh, F is for Family. And I know I seem biased because it's, you know, F. Absolutely. But F is for Family is a really good adult animated sitcom. Oh, Bill Bojack Burr. Horseman. I love Bill Burr. Yeah. Bill Burr is great. Bojack Horseman, I think, was a really well done. Will really Arnett. That's another good one. Yeah. I like Will High Arnett's concept. You know, and, and at least Bojack Horseman. You know, a lot of times you look at some of these adult animated shows and go, well, you know, why do they even bother animating it? You know, these are just real people in real life situations. They don't do anything wacky or anything like that. Bojack Horseman, you could not do that in real life. So it's got a it's got a purpose <laughs> for being animated. I like it. Yeah, um, I liked Bojack Horseman. I liked all the, 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 the weirdness of it. I liked the, you know, how they have the uh, the anthem. Not even, yeah, anthropomorphic, but even more so than that. They're like humanoid, like yeah. animal figure, well, and, figurine things. And again, now those those are shows, those are intended for a grown-up audience. So you couldn't really, you know, you couldn't just have those be dropping anvils and slipping on banana peels. No, you're the, right. The way through. And, and now that being said, too, we were talking about kids' programs um, being more... Uh, that that's the other area where I will argue writers are a necessity is because kids in their cartoons are are getting and have gotten progressively over the years much more sophisticated in what they like. Yeah. You've got things like Amphibia and uh, Owl House and you know these and and uh, Gravity Falls and stuff like that. Stuff that yes, these are cartoony cartoons and wacky stuff happens in them. But if you didn't have a writer. Uh, it just wouldn't work. Oh, Adventure know? Time it's is a great example. I think uh, for me, uh, the the two of them particularly that stand out to me that I watched was Adventure Time and the regular show. They have yes. some really good writing in both of those shows, and I know they're targeted for kids. I know that that they're 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 made for kids. You know, between the ages yeah. of you know, but to me that felt targeted. I, I was twenty when those two shows came out, and that like you can't tell me that Rick and Morty wasn't two twenty year old stoners playing video yeah. games on their couch because that's exactly what. Yeah. Uh, what that felt, uh, or uh, uh, sorry, uh, Mordecai and Rigby uh, on the regular show. That's exactly what that felt like to me. It felt like me and my buddies sure. just sitting there playing video games at that era in our lives. That's what it felt like. There was like nothing kind of going on. We were just kind of there, you know. And that's what that's what the regular yeah. show kind of felt like. Uh, one of the reasons I'm kind of excited for uh, the Flintstones, and the only thing that really made me super excited for it, because again, I'm kind of with you on this reboot thing. Uh, Unless it's beneficial to me, like the King of the Hill thing, I'm not really interested in a lot of reboot stuff. But Stephen Root is doing Fred's voice, and hmm. Stephen Root is—he's uh, the guy who does—he uh, does some voices on uh, King of the Hill as well, hmm. and uh, he was on Office Space and all that stuff. So wow. I, I really like him, and that's the only reason why I'm really kind of interested in that, just to see how he does Fred, because he's doing Fred's voice. So uh, again, it. it It'll be interesting, and it is sort of interesting how uh, you're right. I mean, the Flintstones was sort of the original adult animated sitcom, and how it did, you know, just in the course of my early life, it went from being an adult animated sitcom to being a kids show. Yeah, because when they rebooted it in the '80s, they turned them into kids. It was the Flintstone kids. Well, what's funny about that is when the Simpsons first premiered, that was seen as the pinnacle of edgy and and really yeah. almost dangerous parents were Super scared edgy. to let their kids watch it because Bart was such a bad kid and what's funny is now the Simpsons is completely and utterly mainstream it's like yeah it's you know they've they got anymore. ride at Disney yeah, it's no, it's no. Well, not only do they have a ride at Disneyland, it just lost the edge, the original edge that it had. Uh, uh, society moved past that being edgy. There's there's different yeah. things to be edgy with now than the co- the comedy they were making, uh, and that's yeah. what I kind of like about uh, Trey and Lance uh, Parker with uh, South Park is Trey they have main uh, sorry Matt sorry uh, Trey Lance and Matt Parker yeah uh, that's that's why I like their uh, Trey, Trey Parker and Matt Stone 
Matt Stone, whatever their names are, I'm messing them up. Yeah, I don't Trey know where Parker Lance is coming from, but that's okay. Said. There's a football player named Trey Lance. I think that's where <laughs> I keep getting, I keep mixing it up. But uh, those two guys, uh, the South Park guys, yeah. there we go. I should have just said the South Park guys instead of trying to butcher their names. Uh, <laughs> that's one thing I liked about them is they maintain their edge. That's one thing that's, that's, that's oh, yeah. really good about their yeah. show and, and is that they they main whatever was edgy, they made sure they kept yeah. the the. Uh, sharpness of that edge they kept it all the way through their run so far and i i really i really hope that they when they do go to end this show whenever they choose to do so that they get to end everything on their terms i, I, right. I hope that well, they're I'm- not just abruptly shut off and forced into half of a season of their show that they've already created being forced into syndication like king of the hill but, right. Uh, I just, I don't know. I just, I, I hope better for them when, when, when they get there. Cause you know, all good things come to an end. There will be a, a well, and, end and that's the thing. And I've, I've talked about this before, you know, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, they, they sweat over those scripts. Um, like they, they burn gasoline on those, on those scripts. And, and that's a thing. I, I it, like, if if I'm watching an episode of a show that's script driven and I'm sitting there sitting there thinking to myself, I can tell that the writer just phoned this in. Um, that's that's a big disappointment. Whereas you know, anytime I watch an episode of South Park, boy, story wise, it's got a beginning, middle, and end, and there's always something sort of very striking and poignant by the end. You know, they never yeah. ever stop, and that's that's the kind of you know that's the kind of dedication to no, no, no. Every single episode is, is going to be powerful in some way or another. Some will be more powerful than others, but, but every single one has to have laughs in it. Um, You know, that's, that's, that's a real dedication that again, in forget about, you know, animated series in any TV series, you can watch many shows and just sort of tell that they're phoning it in and, that's that's where I get really bored. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, definitely me too. You 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 could feel when they're when they're not, you know, like you said, phoning it in, and, and uh, so so back to one of the shows that we've already discussed a bunch. I really like it because they keep on putting new episodes out and just keeps getting better and better every time. Uh, the Unicorn uh, Eternal uh, Warriors Eternal. Oh yeah, I yeah, think yeah. that is man. It is it's turned out to be such a phenomenal show. Yeah, no, see, that's a perfect example. Uh, Gendy Tartofsky, who's who's sort of a classic cartoon guy, mm-hmm. um, you know, Dexter's Lab and and um, that sort of thing. Those were very storyboard, Two Stupid Dogs. Those were very storyboard-driven shows. But here he is doing a show that absolutely needs a script to it because there's absolutely. a there's big, no way complicated story, story arc. Told. Yeah, there's a huge, it's yeah. a very, very complicated story arc. And for those of you that think it's slow and those of you that are... Uh, struggling with the first episode or two because it is a little slow. Hold on, just hold on to it because yeah. it is. It is. I don't think it was slow, honestly. But some people find it a little slow that I, that I've seen, you know, on the forums and things like that. But uh, if you hang on for the the, the episode three, four, and uh, it's just it's wonderful. Another show. I'm a that, big fan uh, of the slow burn. I like know? slow burns too. I do like slow burns, and I like uh, and I like that with my TV shows too that I watch. I like a show yeah. to to kind of give you as many details as they can without giving you an entire story, you know, for a season's right. worth of story in a few episodes. I like to get caught up right. to know who's what, to know where's who, that kind of stuff, the who, what, where, when, why stuff. And then you could, you know, ease into all the fun action and all that. You don't have to have a your first episode with guns blazing every time. I feel right. like if you do that, then the, the expectation is for every episode's got to be better than this. Like you can't yeah. have a first episode to be massive and explosive in that sense right. because then – Oh, well, the second episode, well, it wasn't as explosive as the first, so now I'm disappointed. And the third one wasn't yeah. as explosive as the first, so now I'm disappointed. You know, So I feel like the slow burn sets you in mm-hmm. for success as, a, as an audience, as, as success for the audience. It sets them up for success in watching it. Yeah, 100%. And that's, and th- you know, that's, that's another reason why, you know, um, every, every show, regardless of what style it is, whether it's slapstick, whether it's, um, you know, uh, plot driven, whether it's character driven, every animated show should have both a, a director and a 
um, uh, head writer or, or head story person who are working with one another, because that's the thing. Even if you're doing, even if you're doing a slapstick show, that's all just gags, you know, you've got a, presumably you've got a whole series to produce. You can't have one episode where it's all about, you know, uh, uh, dropping rotten apples on the characters' heads, yeah, yeah. and then immediately followed by an episode where it's all about dropping oranges on the characters' heads. It's yeah. like you you have to have someone who oversees all of them, regardless of whether or not you know you're a script driven or a story driven show. And the same goes, you know, the same goes for movies. You know, if you're if you're talking about feature films. Um, you know, no one wants to have, and nobody loves slapstick more than I do, but my goodness, uh, an hour and a half, two hours of just gags would get really boring. Yeah. It gets boring and old pretty quick. Yeah, definitely. Uh, especially nowadays I could watch Tom and Jerry, uh, 24 seven for the next, you know, 20 years and, and never and, and watch the same episode a thousand times and yeah. never be not entertained. But in in, yeah. in today's world of animation, you can't that that you can, that, that's why it's really hard to replicate Tom and Jerry with today's kids because of yeah. uh, because it just doesn't. I don't think it works the same way. They still make it, of course. It's still it's still a show that's being produced and things. And I think that's mostly a lot of the nostalgic feel for millennials. They they produce a lot of these things, and it's just like all, all the remakes and stuff they've got going right now. I think a lot of that is just. Uh, uh, you know, millennials are now not broken at their mom's house. Yeah. So it's, uh, for these studios, it's another way to generate money. Cause, mm-hmm. uh, I, we have to be about one of the most merchandise buying generations there is there. We have to be like merchandise, uh, over the last like 50, 60 years of media merchandise and in, in, in like the millennials yeah. have to have consumed more than any, any, any time frame. I feel like because all of anybody I know, like I've got friends that completely from head to toe, most of the, most of the time, they'll have a hat that's merch from somewhere. The shirt will be merch from somebody. Mm-hmm. Even the shorts will be merch from somebody. And then the socks. And then you've got you've got shoes that uh, are, are uh major shoe companies like Adidas who team up with Pokemon and make Pokemon themed shoes and just things like that. You know, we, we've got to be the the most you know media merchandise consume consumer uh, generation what's funny is this this really delighted me because um i was um i was waiting in line um at my daughter's uh dance recital last weekend and as i'm standing there you know waiting for them to let us into the theater there's there is what is probably a millennial and the millennial's child standing in line in front of me and this little kid who I'm guessing is maybe six or seven years old is standing there with uh, his dad and grandma. And he's describing to his grandma in gruesome detail, the Tom and Jerry cartoon that he had just got done watching and how great it was. And then (laughs) when he was, when he was done with that, he was describing in gruesome detail, the coyote and roadrunner cartoon that he had just got done watching. And I swear I wanted to butt in and, be like, boy, your your kid's got some good taste. Good for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the problem is, and this too, this is probably one of those things that breeds resentment among the sort of classic cartoon crowd, is very few people, very few studios are willing to roll the dice on those gag-driven shows anymore because so much of it hinges on violence. And, um, you know, it, it hinges on violence and it hinges on things that, you know, it's like if you're if you're a cartoon executive and you've got one show that's entirely gag driven, which means you're not even going to really get the jokes until the first pass of animation is done. Or you've got a show that's much more script driven and that's a lot less, you know, sort of violence driven. Yeah, for sure. Um, you're you're going to go with the one that you can understand a little more. So I I think it's very, very tough. Um, to sell those kinds of, you know, gag-driven cartoons, which is why I think we're seeing uh, and are going to continue to see a big emergence of just independent animation uh, doing stuff like that. Yeah, and that's what I'm kind of, uh, I'm really interested in this new wave of independent animation too. Uh, 
being attached to you now, I've been exposed to a lot more of it than I have before. I just scout your page, honestly, for people who post their things and share their things with you. And uh, now that I have this animation conversation, social media, I've been able to modify my algorithm to only show me uh, really? animation. Dire- and, I, and it is, I'll, I'll scroll through and it'll be uh, industry professionals I've never even heard of that are, that are, mm-hmm. that are popping up randomly in the feed oh, to yeah. follow and things like that. So I've been, yeah. I've been, uh, I've been on that journey and just looking at some of this crazy stuff that's being made up. You posted one the other day or yesterday, I think it was at the stop motion animation of Jenny. Yeah. Jenny, the ro- teenage robot. Jenny, yeah. Jenny someone, the teenage robot. That yeah. was absolutely whoever that, whoever you are out there, it would be great yeah. to interview you. <laughs> like I would love yeah. to just talk to that person. That'd be crazy. I think that is, uh, w- that is, that is one of the most interesting pieces of animation that I think I've seen, uh, so far in the month of May. <laughs> that is just so I, unique. I've, I've seen stuff that, um, again, um, I've just started taking such a deep dive. And when I say started, I mean, I started this, you know, like four years ago, but just uh, really diving into YouTube and discovering, you know, yeah, there, there are people out there just making cartoons just for the fun of it. And they, they have no one to answer to. Yeah. So, and not only do they have nobody to answer to uh, some of the stuff that I've seen, uh, it would have some of the industry uh, people in the industry scrambling for jobs because they would definitely give some people a run for their money in, in, in some of the things they create. Yeah. Yeah. And again, you know, this, anytime there is an argument that comes up about anything with regard to the animation industry, whether it's, you know, uh, pro storyboard driven, pro script driven, pro this, pro that, you know, pro anime, pro, um classic cartoon style pro adult um animation it it still just always boils down to good is good good is good Uh, when when something is done well most people will go oh wow that's really good um if there's a quote of the day for you that is the one there good is good that's true that's that's very true about anything it doesn't matter uh how independent it's created if it's good it's good it doesn't matter if it costs 20 dollars to make or 40 million to make good is good it's why you get uh it's why you have the kevin smiths of the world you know he didn't he he used like maybe 30k or 40k or whatever it was to make the first clerks and it launched his entire life of getting to do what he wants for a living you know what i mean so uh, never sell yourself short that's for sure because uh there's an audience for everybody and i think that's what's great about this independent animation stuff and this independent writing and and things like Mm -hmm. that is with media there's an audience for everybody Mm -hmm. now there's an audience if uh, you just have to find what it is that you're good at whether it's animation or anything you know in in this media world that we're in now that we're that we're trapped in uh Mm -hmm. anybody really uh, like i think anybody could be uh, great. You just have to find your audience and you have to find whatever niche it is that you're good at or whatever you know the most about and stick with it. And, you know, uh, there's so much, so much money to go around in this world that everybody should be independently successful if they want to be with their, with their animation. And I can't like, I think this new wave is, is coming with this generation of kids coming up now where, uh, These studios are really going to have to start like reevaluating how they conduct business with animators yeah. and writers. It's going to it's going to be to a point soon where the ball, I believe, will be in the animators laps instead of the executives laps. And the executives are going to be begging animators to not be independent, you know, in the essential. Hey, don't go run away from us to go make your own stuff that people will pay for. We'll pay you to stay right. here kind of thing, you know. Well, so. and, and that that brings us to uh, perhaps an, an excellent way to bring this full circle is you know it it should never have been about you know i'm an artist i'm a writer it should have always been about we're storytellers Mm. you know It, it should be about we're the creative voice you know and and that's what i think is going to you know that's that's what needs to emerge in the industry and that's that's what will you know finally end all the feuds and hopefully mm-hmm. uh you Kinda know like prevent, uh, prevent future strikes is not it's not just it's not just writers it's writers and artists it's writers yeah. and artists With our and powers combined we are cartoon and, yeah, planet yeah <laughs> right it's creatives versus 
you know, the pencil pushers. And by the way, I'm the biggest, you, I, I, I understand the need for, you know, the studios and the executives and the whole, the whole pipeline. But um, it's important that as creatives, we're all united in saying, hey, whether I'm an artist or writer, what I'm doing has value. You know, there's value sure. here. It's not because I think I think what happens is because people in the upper, upper tiers, because they can't understand it, they assume that it's easy or they assume that it's, um, you know, and, and again, this goes back to I've I've heard animators, you know, bash on writers because, oh, what they do is so easy. It's like, really, have you ever sat down and had to come up with a story when you have zero ideas? Um, yeah, and, and I see those easy. same animators come up with easy. show ideas that were terrible. So, you know, again, it's, it's, it's about, it's not about, we are artists, we are writers. It's about, we are storytellers and we are the creatives and we're the ones who sort of hold the keys to this kingdom yeah. that the entertainment industry so desperately relies on. I actually had a series of stories I used to write. Uh, I could never draw, so I was never able to animate them. I always wished I could draw. I would do stick figures kind of thing. But it was a story of, uh, it was a bear, uh, an adult bear and a teenage bear, but they were kind of country rednecks. And uh, they they lived in the woods, but they lived in the woods and they acted like human survivalists. So they were <laughs> in the woods and they were like, you know, they're they're whittling fish hooks out of, out of wood mm -hmm. and they're mm -hmm. building lean-tos and stuff like that. So that was, that was something that uh, stories I used to write that were kind of funny, I think. Well, again, that's, that's what's, that's, what's great about this sort of, you know, new wave of things um, that are coming. And again, um, the studios had better, had better pony up and keep their creatives happy. For sure. Because be able to do it on you know, their own and make more people, money, if not more than what they would make in a studio. There's people like yeah. the, the amount of money that's out there right now, uh, if I was a studio executive, I would be very, very worried in that sense that because because once one show is independently successful uh, off of mm -hmm. off of YouTube or whatever it may be, once one show is able to be independently, extremely independently successful without the need of Netflix or any of that other stuff, right. then that that modifies it that changes the game yeah. it's just like in no, football absolutely. it's like in football in the nfl when uh, a, a a new quarterback gets like a hundred million dollars more than the next guy down below him and it resets the entire market for for quarterback it's the same thing like once somebody gets this independent money and it shows that they could independently put a complete show out on their own i feel like it shifts the market in that direction yeah. just a little bit more it changes the it changes the uh, the marker or whatever for for success for for animators oh abs absolutely there's a there's a a youtuber that um i won't mention his name because i don't know if he's but a very very successful comedic youtuber who um i saw him interviewed and they're like wow your your youtube channel is so successful you know and you're so funny you know why don't you audition for saturday night live or why don't you why don't you try to get into one of those, you know, get a sitcom on a network or something like that. And he was like, why would I do that? Why would I do that when, when I'm making a, a better living doing this here now with nobody to answer to? You yeah, know? And why would you shift when you could make the tens of millions of dollars on your own and you don't have to right. pay the studio a percentage? The studio doesn't take a percentage of your, your, IP. It's something you created. Yeah. Whether the studio owns it or not, it's a whole other story. It's yours. At the end of the day, your right. brain created it. The legality or whatever, yeah. that's just, you know, yeah. that's just pencils and paper at the end of the day to a creative. It, it, at the end of the day, you created it. So in your mind, yeah. it's yours. It's It belongs to you and, no matter what, you know. So and again, that's a tough this, thing to do to sell yourself like that. This progression is, I believe, going to be good for everybody because, you know, the independent creators are going to enjoy, you know, the fact that independent creations are are getting more attention and more money and it's easier to make a, a living off of being an independent creator and consequently the studios are going to have to start ponying up and have to start treating their creative talent better otherwise they are all going to go independent. Absolutely. Um, and so they should. I mean, if you're not yeah. being treated it's just like any job anywhere you're at if you're not being treated uh what you believe is to be fair uh, and, and really, it, it, 
it, it boils down not even to what's fair for the market, but what's fair for you, what's fair for your own principles right. as a human being, what, what you, what do you believe you deserve? Uh, right. And, and that's it, the thing. If, like, you if accept I got, the status I, I, quo, I consider, that's on you, but a lot of people don't. I don't think people should accept the status quo for no. their creative stuff. It's priceless at the end of the day. The art you create, there's yeah. not really a dollar amount that could be put on it when you create it. Yeah, of yeah. course, people attach monetary uh, amounts to people's art and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, when an executive comes to you and says, hey, I want to buy yeah. this, I want to sell your show, yeah. I want to do this, it's, it, it's, I mean, it's a catch-22. Yeah, you get to make money, but are you making what the, the actual – Think about Dexter's Lab. That's just one one right. that comes to my mind because it's a favorite of mine. I imagine that the amount of love and the amount of uh, uh, like cultural impact that show had wasn't near the amount that yeah. Gindy was compensated for. That he wasn't compensated near the amount. I don't no. believe for what no. its impact is because that's a huge that's a hugely impactful sure. show on my childhood because I was that nerdy kid. And yeah. you're showing me that oh, there's a nerdy kid in a TV show now, and he's kind of cool. You know, he kind of does all this yeah. cool stuff. You know, so it, it kind of it flips the table. You know, on, on stuff like that. It, it does because I got to tell you, I'm you know I'm basically an independent animator at the moment. And if but if like if Disney came knocking at my door. And said, "Hey, we've seen this thing you're doing. We want to buy it up, and we want to we want to put it on our network." I'd talk to them, but and by the way, I'd I'd probably move heaven and earth to to you know work with them. But I'm in a much better bargaining position than I was 10, 15 years ago Absolutely. because if they don't, if I can say to them, I'm like, look, yeah, I'll sell you my show. But here are my demands. Here's what I want, and here's everything you have to give me if you want to take it, because they have to. They have to make it worth my while at this point, and that's true of writers, and that's true of everybody in the pipeline at this point. So yeah, you know, fingers crossed. I I really I'm hoping I'm I'm kind of an optimist at heart, and I'm really hoping that we're sort of entering into a golden age where we are. I think I feel it. I feel it. Independent and um, mainstream media outlets benefit. Uh, or, or at least the creatives in these outlets benefit from all yeah, this. But. Based on a lot of the new stuff that I've been seeing be created mainstream, not just in the independent si- side of things, a lot of the things that I've been seeing that are being created mainstream, I really think that we're shifting into this new new age of uh, uh, not only just animation for kids, but we're, it's just a whole new range of just animation for everybody. Yeah. Uh, another yeah. one that I've seen here recently, and I'm going to wrap it up after this one, uh, Agent Elvis. Uh, I think that one is just... <laughs> I, I don't know. I think the writing is really good. I really like the the, the animation. It's really action packed. I kind of like it a lot. Uh, so, uh, is there anything that you wanted to plug about what you've got going on? Or are you still keeping it hush hush? Or we're we gonna say I'm it still for, keeping things a little later? bit hush hush. Okay. But um, suffice it well, to say, if Where you, uh, you, if you want though? in, if you want in on the big secret that I've been um, hinting about for quite a while now. The very first thing you should do is go on YouTube um, and go to at Fountains Pen Cartoons. Um, and on on that channel, I go into a little bit of detail of what I've been uh, working on lately and what's going to be, you know, coming up in the very near future. And, um, you know, also, if you just uh, follow me on Twitter, I'm very accessible on Twitter uh, at Fountain Cartoon. Uh, on Twitter, if you if you follow me on on either of those things, you can find out what's going on because uh, I've I've got some pretty exciting stuff coming up. Yep, there you go. And uh, you could also go get our social media stuff at Animation Convo for our Twitter and our Instagram. And our uh, our email is theanimationconvo at gmail.com. Our YouTube is at Animation Convo. So you can go check us out everywhere there. Uh, I think that's I think that's it. I don't think I have anything else to add. By to the that. way, I, I will I will reveal this. Okay, here uh, we Fountains, go. Fountains Pen Productions is animating little segments from this podcast that will be put up on the uh, Animation Conversation uh, YouTube channel. So and remind me to get you that. the login for that for your animator so they can upload that stuff. Unless and you're just going to send it to me, it doesn't matter. I could just get. I've them started. The to I've it. started seeing little bits of it, and it is going to be great. So everyone, please uh, keep tuning in, like, share, and subscribe. And beyond liking, sharing, and subscribing, for goodness sakes, nothing beats word of mouth. You know, nothing. talk to your friends about us. Uh, talk to your family about us. Just just spread the word that we're around. Yeah, we have had so many weird weird of weird of mouth we've had so many weird of 
I did it again. We have so many weird word of mouth uh, circumstances that happen with our King of the Hill stuff. Uh, word of mouth is crucial. So, like, everybody everywhere, tell your mom, your dad, your dog, your cat. Tell, if you got a parrot that talks too much, just whisper animation conversation to its ear a bunch so it repeats it when you have guests. Like, whatever you have to do. you got a talking snake, teach it animation conversation like whatever you got to do uh spread it for us we appreciate y'all so much sticking with us uh through these episodes and we can't wait to bring y'all more like crazy good stuff and some more animation uh, insides uh i'm your host rusty and uh it's your old buddy f zigga zigga ah party people all right appreciate you guys watching and that brings us to the end of another incredible episode of Animation Conversation. We hope you enjoyed this animated adventure as much as we did. Remember, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes, we would love to hear from you. Feel free to reach out to us on our social media channels or through good old-fashioned email. We value your input and want to make Animation Conversation a podcast that resonates with animation lovers like you. Our Instagram and Twitter are at Animation Convo. Our YouTube is at Animation Conversation. Our email is theanimationconvo at gmail.com. Before we say our final goodbyes, we want to remind you to stay animated. Keep exploring, appreciating, and sharing the magic of animation with others. Let your imagination soar and let the world of animated wonders continue to inspire and captivate you. Thank you once again for joining us on this incredible journey. Until next time, this is Wubcake, signing off for Animation Conversation. Keep watching, keep dreaming, and keep the animation conversation alive.